If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today we've got another regular guest. John McLean is here for his 14th time actually and today he's going to do something a bit different. We're going to do some case studies with him because, you know, obviously he's training and retraining quite a lot of horses now, if you haven't heard John before, go back and listen to his earlier episodes. He's got a series where he brings a young foal, you know, first born, first handled, right through to teaching them to lead, to weaning, their first riding and taking them out. So there's quite a lot of work there that's quite progressive work, and that would be in an ideal horse situation. But unfortunately, not all horses have got the um, opportunity to go through that. So we're going to do some case studies, talk about some you know, what some people might call problem horses or or just horses that have learned to react to um, AIDS a certain way and we want to teach them to react a little bit different. Anyway, how are you, Jonna? I'm very well, Glennis. How are you today? Yeah, I'm brilliant, Jonna. I'm really looking forward to, it's not just this case study, but there's a series of case studies. So, um, we sort of got 10 steps there to bring this horse through to getting him going. So I think let's get started with that. Now, you're going to talk to us about a horse called Frankie. Is that right? He's 13. Yep. Yeah. Would you like to yep. tell us a little bit about him and how you got him, whether you purchased him or someone else did, and then they're looking to you to help them with the horse? Okay. Glenis, this is a, um, a client in Victoria that um, has – uh, show horses and show ponies and she's been breeding her own and been doing it for a long time and she's really good at what she does and somehow along the line she came across Frankie who was we, we think, the dentist says you know 13, 14 ish, mm -hmm. we don't really know and um, he was a very very scared horse, a lovely looking horse he's a very stunning looking horse and I think originally he came from you know New South Wales or somewhere so she picked him up and brought him home and then popped a rider on him and they couldn't get him to go. In fact, they couldn't get him to move at all. So they thought that what they should do is um, maybe use a greater, a greater, a stronger aid because the leg aid didn't do anything um, to him at all. He didn't move not one bit. So they started using the whip and um, he got such a fright he took off and then they couldn't stop him or turn him in any shape or form. So... He had no idea of what the basic signals were. Mm. So after a little while, they called me out to uh, to assess him, and I said, well, I don't think that the horse has been broken in. I don't think he's actually been ridden because when I get on his back, he's really quite scared. Okay. And he's really afraid of anything above him or any outward arms, whips especially, ropes as well, rugs he's fine with, barrier he's fine with, floating he's fine with, being led in the show class he's fine but I don't think anybody had been on his back, and they presumed, because he was 13-ish, that uh, he was, in fact, broken in when he wasn't at all. Mm -hmm. Would he have been um, in harness, do you think, or just a horse that maybe someone's bought with the intention of doing something with him and never quite got around to it? 
quite possibly been enhanced, absolutely. Um, but isn't it funny that we presume that all horses of a certain age are broken in, yes. whether it be broken into harness or broken into saddle, and we presume that. And it's not until you delve into um, the operational systems of the horse that you discover that it actually doesn't know the answer to them. And that, of course, induces flight. And if you're not in a secure environment, that can result in harm of people and also you know, the welfare of the horse is compromised as well. Yes. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. What was your first step with him? I'm, I'm sort of thinking, you know, if anyone is at this stage that hasn't gone through any of the chats with you, you know, they might want to go back and listen to some of the chats because I think here what you're doing is you're re-establishing some of the work, but I'd like you to talk about what you did with him and how he might have differed from a young horse that is having this for the first time. So what was that first step? So the first step was finding out what he what he could do. And the one of the things he could do, Glennis, is that he could lead well. So mm-hmm. that was a bonus because it meant that I could then start to say, okay, from a leading point of view, what do you know in leading? Can you go faster? Can you go slower? Can you stop? Can you park? Can you yield your hindquarters? What do you know? And he was quite good at all those things. So a lot of work had been done on the ground somewhere, or as you said previously, possibly in harness. So I started with a bridle just uh, a bridle, no saddle or anything like that. And then I just started working with him on the ground and asking him with both the reins over his head to my hand, facing his hind quarter, me standing, facing his offside and asking him, can he step back a step when I apply pressure to his mouth? So that's finding out whether he understands uh, that, you know, that he can reverse, which will translate into a stop and then ultimately a park and a reverse button. And I can do that in the near side and the offside. And he knew that a little bit. He was really quite heavy and not quite sure. And I could tell that because he's left reversing diagonal pairs. And anybody who's heard the podcast, we talked about um, the importance of diagonal pairs and being light and immediate, both diagonal pairs. So that's where I started um, in terms of uh, just one step of both, uh, both the, so the near four on the offline and then release the pressure the moment they've, they've, they've landed. And then done exactly the same thing with the other diagonal pair. And then the next one was, can you go? And he actually did go from the bridle. So the interesting thing here is that when we lead him from the bridle, his go button is actually now the pole strap. So Mm. that's not where we want to go button mode. But Mm. he already knew it. That is something that he knew. So I capitalised on that and then said, okay, why don't we then ask you an unknown aid, an unknown you, and we'll presume you don't know the aid to go, which is say a little tap on the side with my a little niggle. I just use my hand. Yep. Because by this stage we already knew that he was quite scared of whips and things like that, so we didn't wish to, you know, elevate his arousal to the point where he would be scared. So we just started off just by niggling with the back of my hand about where my leg would go, and he's only small. He's only about you know 13 hands, 13 two and did that, and then he didn't know the answer to that. In fact, he swished his tail and, and tried to have a little bit of a nibble of me. Um, not a bite, but just a little nibble, telling me that he didn't know what that was. It was mm-hmm. uncomfortable, though. Yep. So I went nibble with my hand, and then I did a lead step with my right hand. So I'm actually leading with my right hand, with my left hand, I'm still facing the front, and I'm applying my hand where my leg would go. So I'll go unknown, known, release of pressure. Unknown, mm. oh, no, no. I did that about five times. And then by that sixth time, he was onto it. He knew exactly what Good. that meant. Yep, yep. And then I repeated that again on the offside. So I did the near side go button and the inside go button, just bareback, nothing on. 
And then we popped the saddle on, and it was quite good with the saddle. It was quite good with the girth. Stood there calm as anything. Didn't show any anxiety about having the girth done up or the saddle being put on. So then I went back and checked that again, and he didn't know um, how to go now that he had a girth on. And that's often the case. So you know, pay to check these things. So I had to repeat that on the near side and then on the offside. So that's how I began. Okay, okay. And that makes logical sense, you know, go with the unknown then follow it up straight away by the known and then he'll start to anticipate then, I suppose, the known from the unknown. Look, that's right. And I don't know whether you and I have mentioned this uh, enough to, and, and say to people, find out what they do know mm-hmm. and capitalise yep. on that and then go unknown known. So then they start to link it. Whereas if you just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, um, it's going to take too long. And it, the the... You know, learning takes place when the horse actually starts to be able to remove the pressure immediately from the signal, and then learning is, you know, taking place. But when it takes so long for the horse to respond and so long for you to take it away, there's no real learning taking place. It's very, very slow and arduous. Yep, yep, yep. Now, what were the responses like in the round yard and the riding arena? Well, I haven't had him out in the riding arena yet. Or mm-hmm. no, actually, I've had a little ride out, not far. Yep. I've only gone from the round yard to his stables. But in the round yard, um, the first time that I rode him, it was actually a very, very wet day, and the round yard was fairly full of water, and he doesn't like water. Okay. So I knew that, that would be a little interesting. And I had some friends over to come at who wanted to yap to me about a horse. And I said, look, I'm, I'm a little bit busy, but more than happy for you to come with me and come to my next course. So they watched and I said, oh, if you wouldn't mind, I know this horse is scared of whips. Would you mind holding my whip? And they were standing on the outside of the yard. And so then when I first got on him, um, the owner um, was really um, keen to hold him while I got on. And I said, no, 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 I don't want you to hold him. I would like to find out what happens when I get on. And she said, well, you know, he'll just walk off. And I said, well, I've done enough work now. I think I should be able to place my foot in the stirrup iron and then get on just laying across him, not completely astride. And if he does take a step, then I get to find out whether my, my brakes work or not. And I'm best to find out then mm. um, rather than do when I'm really astride. And, of course, he didn't know that. He, and he started walking off fairly briskly. And so I said, no, I don't want you to do that. And then I repeated that three or four times. And then I was able to put my leg over, and he stood there really calmly. So then I just said, now stand here. And I started uh, just getting on, getting off, getting on, getting off, and making a routine, and then yep. slowly making a fast, and then also dismounting off the offside as well, um, and getting him used to that. And that was a little bit shocking for him. He'd never seen a person um, get off the offside um, before, I wouldn't think, because he actually shied away from me by about a metre. So then I just went over that and did that. So I'm just getting him used to me being all over his body, moving, not giving him any cues or any any um, signals to go, stop or turn or anything like that, but just saying, no, just stand here, and when you do stand, I'm just going to keep scratching you, but at the same time, I'm just going to keep going about getting on, getting off, and moving around in the saddle so you're not so worried. So habituating into all the processes that a rider does. Good, good. And then what about, you know, the desensitisation, you know, the different sights, sound, touches? Was that also done at the halter in park? You know, was that the way you progressed through that? Yes, exactly. Now, the, the essence behind that is habituation, you know, is getting a horse used to a, uh, to a stimuli um, with no reaction. So what we'd like them to do is not react at all, you know, and horses yes. have to become um, 
habituates all, all manner of things, you know, horse floats, rugs and people and kids and uh, dogs and everything. There's uh, so many things that horses have to become accustomed to. Um, but starting off, um, we have to be aware with these horses that are quite flighty and have had some bad experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That we have to be sure that we don't allow the legs to move because then the habituation to to the stimuli occurs much quicker when they don't move the legs. So I'm not sure if we talked about this last time, but there's three ways you can, uh, to, in my knowledge anyway, three ways you can habituate a horse to any stimuli. Uh, you can uh, use drugs. Um, and Rapplin is, is one of those drugs that um, is a fairly popular drug for people to use. We don't really know the degree in which learning can take place while they're under sedation because, you know, we need more information on that. I'm, I'm quite dubious about that. Um, and I also get worried about horse welfare and, and rider welfare, uh, rider mm, mm. with that as well. Um, but also we can do, we can hobble them, tie their legs, and that's why that works is because it stops the legs from moving. So if a horse is unable to move its legs and he did the flourish spots, habituation will occur. But if it does the opposite to what you want and it tends and it runs away as a reaction and is able to flee the scene, then you've accidentally uh, created a situation where we have a single trial learning event, which basically means that in one go the horse has learned to do the wrong thing. And, you know, we see that um, quite often when people make mistakes and, and um, you know, uh, the horse bangs his head on a horse float and runs out, etc. All those things, and the horse will learn not to go into the float in that in that one instance. Yep. We don't want that to occur. Yep. You know. So we have to then make sure that from the sight point of view, we cover the sight things, and then we also cover the tactile things and touch. Um, that is quite um, au fait with me grooming him with the whip. So I do a lot of whip grooming and hand grooming. And he has to stand in self-carriage park to do all that. That's the benchmark. That's where I want to get to before I move on. And also with the whip all over the legs, under the tummy, up and down the neck, over the rump, over the back, um, uh, on the leg, down the legs, etc., etc. Because none of that should mean anything. Um, and then also we have to make sure that he understands um, that not just from a sight point of view and a tactile point of view um, that he is able to realise the standing still is the most profitable thing. And that, that's the point we want to get across and make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, that, that clicks, that light bulb goes on. Okay, okay. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry... If you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats so this is your 14th chat john and you're sort of getting used to a lot of your you know your philosophy your training methods and the way that you bring on young horses so i'm presuming that um you know now you've done the desensitization and you did talk about self-carriage while the horse is in park do you then go on and do the mounting and dismounting? That seems to me to be the next logical step. Is that right? 
And that's exactly right. And I don't get on until I can do that. And that's you know, um, as one of my one of my um, uh, hosts and, and is also a coach and a judge as well. She, you know, she often says to me, you know, they've got to invite you to take the next step. And, that, and that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. You know, rather than saying I'll be brave and get on. And I only heard somebody today say to me that what they were going to do is get their horse into the float and, and I don't know these people very well, but they rang me. But they were uh, they, they were saying that what they're going to do is drug the horse to get him to go into the float, and, and I wasn't sure that that was the right way to go. Mm. But what what they were really trying to say was that um, if that didn't work, they were just going to use more force. So, you know, we're we're presuming that it's a horse's fault. How could it ever be the horse's fault? This is mm. the thing that we're all up against. It's just, it's just I think it's wrong. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Now, if the horse does say in self-carriage in park, Mm-hmm. What then? Do you ask the horse to go forward, backwards? Which direction are you asking the horse to go once they understand that? Yeah. Anybody that has any sense of their own preservation would realise that is a million-dollar question. Right? Mm-hmm. Because you get a horse for the first time and you don't really know. We we can sit here and say, oh, you know, the textbook says this and in textbooks and um, illustrated videos. It's always perfect, but it never is at home. And mm. that's why you and I are doing these things, because I don't want to talk about the perfect world. I want to talk about the imperfect world, because horses, you know, the moment you start to think that you know something, there'll be a horse out there that'll prove you wrong. So you have yes. to really stay open-minded, and the horses have a lot to teach us as well, individual horses especially. Um, and so that's why it's a million-dollar question, because the very first thing that I do when I get on a horse, now that I've, I've held the reins over his neck before I've even got on, mm-hmm. and holding the reins approximately where my hands would be and asking if he knows one step back, rain back. So this is an insurance on my stop button. So one diagonal pair, yes, that was the right, tick. Other diagonal pair, yes, tick. Now I get on and then I do exactly the same. Can I do one diagonal pair back? Can I do the other diagonal pair back? Was it the same response that I had when it was on the ground? Possibly not. Okay. So we can do a little bit more there. I just do it very, very quietly, very systematically and try and do, you know, there's enough repetition to make me feel as if if something happened, I've got a fairly good stop button to fall on because the next thing I'm going to do is either go or turn. Okay. And I can't do both. Okay. We won't be able to do both. So I have to decide. So if the horse is a little bit tight, I might um, choose turn and say, okay, when I turn, can I get one front leg to take a step? Okay. And if he does, then I'll release that rein and then I'll apply my leg and say, now can you go where your eyes are? So let's say it's my left rein, so I might apply my left rein. As soon as my left rein gets a little light, it's light now, so he's staying in self-carriage with, with his eyes looking left or flexion left, and I release that rein, and then I pop my leg on, and I may only pop one leg on, because remember, I've only trained him to yes, move one from one time. leg at a time yep. on the left side, exactly, and I keep that context. And then slowly but surely, I'm able to do a bit of a wiggly line. Yes, I can go left turn, go with one leg. Good boy. Yep, that's good. Now can I do it the other way? And then slowly but surely he understands that I'm able to, and it comes back to the unknown and known again, he's probably more likely to be able to answer a turn aid than he is a go aid when I first get on. Okay, okay. And the, and the reason for that is because yeah. we do the girth up. Sometimes when we do the girth up, it actually eclipses the signals for your go button. Yes. Because you've got tension around the tummy. And so 
he doesn't really always know the answer. And now we've added another one because now I'm on him and I'm not beside him at all. So the context has changed again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering about this, you know, applying the leg or the whip taps, whatever's been trained on the ground. Do you have someone on the ground doing a similar signal or you just say, well, you've already been trained with the taps on the ground, so while I'm on it should be the same tap? Yeah, another good question. If I've got somebody on the ground and they know what they're doing and I feel as if I need a little bit of a kickstart mm-hmm. and the horse knows that person's and the, the, the person's mannerisms and cues really well, I'll put that to my advantage and say, okay, now if this was you and you were um, training him on the ground, um, how, do you, how do you get him to go? And they might say, oh, I, I click once or I click twice or, or something. And I'll say, okay, well... I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll use uh, my leg aid, and then when it doesn't work, you click. So I'm actually, again, going unknown known. Yes, yes. Okay, okay, yep. So it doesn't matter what way you go about it. Yeah, I suppose it's it's good if you've got the person there, but if you've done the work on the ground, it's the same thing. It should be the same, you know, or very, very close to the same when you're on. Yes. The only thing I sometimes get worried about is with the – uh, more difficult, more lively, more sensitive and reactive horses, especially the ones that have a reputation, mm-hmm. is that having somebody on the ground puts them in danger because now I've got two people involved and a horse in an enclosed area. Yes, okay, okay. So, so I'm always aware of that. Yeah. So what did you do with Frankie? Did you just get on Frankie and what you'd done on the ground, it's the same with your leg? Or did you have anyone to help yeah. you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I did have somebody to help me, but I started off the seeing if he could do it by himself. He nearly could. Okay. But he could only walk. He could only do about three steps, and then he would stop, and then he wouldn't go again. So mm-hmm. I kept getting, I kept getting bogged the whole time. Yep. So then I asked her to do, um, and she she lunged him a little bit, and he lunges really nicely. So I said, just pretend that you're lunging me, and you want me to walk. Just visualise that, okay. and then when I say do that cue, you'll do that cue. So I'll go leg aid, and then I say. And do the cue. Yep. And then she'll do yep. the cue and then he'll yep. go. So again, I was doing some no, no, yeah. And, yes, and, and yes. he picked that up in one session and then after that, she's now been sitting on the manning block ever since. Good. Taking photos with her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good. So you've gone again, the, the known, the unknown, but he also knew that signal on the ground, didn't he, with the lunge, you know, because he'd had the lunging. Yeah, well, that's right. And that's why we've got to draw upon the experiences mm. of, the, of the owner or the trainer, one and the same sometimes. Um, draw upon their experiences because they spend more time with the horse than you and you can't just walk in there and pretend you know it all. You want to mark as much information as you can possibly get from the owner so that you're going to try, A, make your job easier and safer, but it also puts the horse in a better position to learn. Yeah, yeah. So at this stage, just talk to us a little bit about checking the response's persistence, you know, the self-carriage. Yeah, the persistence of responses is, um, is a very, very important one. And what we mean by persistence is... Um, how reliable are they? And especially when we're doing quite a few transitions, um, you know, it's not hard if you count them. It's not hard to do 50 or 60 transitions. But if you do that many in your first session, you're probably going to get burnout. So, mm-hmm. in other words, the horse will be too tired to react and you'll start, and the buttons will start to fade. So then I just do a couple more and I end the session right there. Okay. It doesn't matter okay. what time, how long I've been doing it for, I end the session there. That's how it is. With All me. right. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, my, my clock always goes by the horse. So if, if they're persistent, um, we mean that do they stay responsive and immediately responsive to the aid and then do they continue walking or whatever you've done without you doing anything? So let's say we've asked them to, asked them to walk on, so I walked on, and then I do absolutely nothing to find out how long it goes for. 
And yeah. then it stops after five. So, okay, no worries. So you can only walk five steps. So that's our start point, yeah. All right, just going on from there, so say you've got self-carriage, you've got the yep. tempo in the walk, you can do the tempo in the walk, and the horse is happy to walk wherever you want, turn, mm-hmm. um, what do you do then? Because a lot of people are going to say, well, that's obvious, you just trot. But is it to go get the walk established and then ask for the trot? Or, you know, is there a step in between? Yeah, there is a step in between. And I always make sure that I can push the walk and get it to go faster mm-hmm. before I go into trot. Okay. Because, oh, yeah, and I get that in self-carriage. So I look at the tempo that the horse offers me naturally and then I might say, okay, now what I want you to do is go faster. And if you accidentally break in the trot, I go with that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. You've mm-hmm. possibly got a right. You know, you've got to reward every good try. Yep. So um, I go with that. But if I can get him to go faster, and I especially do this with horses that, for example, pig root into canter, and I get hundreds of those a year, and they're very, very common because cantering, pig rooting, jumping, and bucking, they're all fairly similar. And the horse sometimes gets them a little bit wrong. So what I do with those horses is that I say, no, I don't want canter today, but I want to train you and see how fast you can trot. And then I ask them to canter, and they just don't figure it out. Because you've already pushed the gate prior, yes. and that is a bit of an insurance policy on the next gate up, which is canter. Okay, okay. So the transitions, when do we start to introduce that um, even walk, trot, trot, walk? Is it from that that we start increasing the speed getting the walk faster until the horse says, this is just a bit too hard, I think I'll trot. Is that how you do it or is there a different way? Because, you know, we're thinking about getting, practising that walk, trot, trot, walk transition. How is that achieved? Yeah, this is a really tricky question on horses that have a very innately have a poor walk or mm-hmm. from a from a training point of view, they have a poor walk, whatever it is. Um, and some horses are like that. They just have a much too slow tempo and they don't have very good reach with their hind legs. So... Getting them to go faster is like a precursor to being able to encourage them to go longer. Okay. And so we really do need that. And then I'll ask them to go into trot and then do the same thing. So really what I'm looking for, though, and I'll never forget this when I'm riding, how how punctual was the reaction from my leg aid in the transition? And if it's, if it's at all delayed or late from the aid, then I really make sure that I get that going before I ask another question. And that's nearly always the first casualty of a horse that won't go forward is they're delayed off the go aid. And okay. it's surprising. People don't, people don't pick it up. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, you know, I want it to be almost like switching a light on, that I ask nicely and, and, and then he trots, you know, and, and put, you know within, within half a second of that process. Yes. So I don't let that go. And as the horse gets tired, then that will become... Uh, a bit slower and a bit uh, late. And that okay. tells me, that's one of the signs that I use to say, yeah, he's starting to get tired here. Mm. And so the dilemma then is, is the horse getting tired or is he learning not to listen to my aid and is testing me out? And I don't mind what it is because on the first day I'll say, okay, we've been going for 20 minutes, we've done about 50 transitions, tomorrow I'll examine that. And when I get on them the following day, the delay isn't there. So that tells me that I pulled out at the right time. Okay, okay, good, good. Now, from that, you know, we've done the transition there. Yeah. And we've done the walk, trot, trot, walk transitions. But what happens when in the trot, what's the next step? So say you've um, got the trot a bit more established, the horse is responding, they're in self-carriage, 
then you've got yep. the consistent tempo at the trot. What happens then? Is it the same, you know, sort of shortening, lengthening and um, changing the speed in the trot? Is that the next step? I mean, to me that's logical, but you've always got these little yep. little extra steps up your sleeve. Yes, and look, it's a good question because not every horse is the same here because mm-hmm. if I ask him to go forward more, but he's falling in massively on the right rein, which is mostly what horses do, they mostly fall yep. right. Yep, yep, um, If they're going to fall anyway, they'll fall on to the right rein and they're a bit always generally a bit stiff on the right rein, so they'll fall right. Is it then I'll probably say, okay, that's good that you can go and I'll make sure that you can go faster and keep that sustainable tempo and in other words, in self-carriage, and then I'll start to look a bit more carefully to my line because when the first casualty of straightness is that the horse doesn't go. So mm-hmm. I check the go before I check that he's actually holding his line in the round yard. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so we're practising and that's sort of just reapplying what we did in the walk and, and taking it onto yes, the trot. Now, what yes. happens with the trot? Do we spend time in the trot? Like if we were training a rider, we would spend quite a bit of time in the trot before we go into canter. Is that the idea, you know, to carry on? I mean, what did you do with Frankie? Yes. Well, where I where I am with him now is that I'm now experimenting that when I do rising trot mm-hmm. and I move in the saddle and I start going up and down, I started at sitting trot because his trot is quite smooth and I can sit very still. Okay. So we talked in the previous episodes about background noise. I try to remove all background noise from my body. Yes. Um, and, and give him no cues with my body at all, mm-hmm. but only cues with my hands and my legs. And then I'll start rising and then find out what does that do to my line and to my tempo. Did it change it? Because I don't want it to change. Mm. I want to be able to go rise sitting. And I'm not sitting for a long time. I'm only sitting for maybe one circuit. And I'm only a little bloke. I'm only 60, 61 and a half kilos. So, mm-hmm. you know, if the horse doesn't have a big trot, that won't be a problem. You okay. may be forced to rise if it has a lot of cadence and you um, are forced to rise because there's no way no, you can possibly sit on that horse. Yeah. That sometimes, sometimes is the case. But generally speaking, I just go sitting trot, then I go rising, then I go sitting. Oh, yeah, no, that's all, that's all really good. So now I can start focusing on shaping some of my rain signals, my direct turns and my indirect turns, mm-hmm. um, so I can combat any falling, especially my um, turns to the left, my direct turns to the left and my indirect turns um, to the left as well to stop the falling into the right. All right. Well, it sounds like um, it sounds like Frankie's well and truly on his track. And you said that Frankie was a good type, so you know, hopefully he's sort of out there in the show ring. I'm sure that he's going to have the appropriate steps. So when he does get out there, he's um, you know, he's he's well and truly ready to go out there. So it'd be nice to um, you know, just chat up, ch- catch up with you, Jonna, in a little bit, and you can um, give us a bit of a good news story about him, hopefully. Well, that's right, and, and the owner said to me today she's aiming for him to go to um, his first royal show under saddle in a year's time, and that's wow. a very sensible yeah. time. That is yeah. a very sensible time. Yes, you know, yes. People are always in too much of our and want everything yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's wonderful. That's really good news. Yeah, we'll have to keep, yes, yes, keep an eye time. on him. Yeah, yeah. Now, Johnny, if people have got problem horses, you know, because – Problem horses, we call them problem horses, but really they're horses that um, aren't responding to the aids or the signals the way that we mm. would expect them to, I suppose. You know, would you define it like that or if you've got a different definition? No, I think that that's right. And I've heard people say there's no such thing as a problem horse as problem people. And, you know, no, that's I think, right. you know yeah. sometimes that's probably right. But mm. um, I think that the one I find the most difficult to understand is when people say, I oh, know I don't want this horse anymore, I crash. 
and mm. uh, or we have opposing personalities or whatever it is. And you know, I, I have I don't think I've actually ridden a horse that I really really dislike a lot because you'll find that if you train if you're looking for the self carriage state in everything that you do, the horses tend to be pleasurable to ride. So then you like them. Whereas if they're always contesting what you do because you haven't trained single responses and shaped them properly, then you'll always clash and then we sell them. So then we're actually selling a horse that we've created a problem with. Mm. Yes. That's yes, amazing. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. So I, I, I don't, um, you know, I think that it's really just a case of some horses, there's no doubt about that, will put a whole lot more pressure on your training. But that's good. I mean, what else are we going to do with our time? We can do something else if we like and um, um, put our efforts elsewhere. And there mm. are some horses that pick up things really, really fast, but there are also the horses that pick up our weaknesses in our riding really fast, and we all only have to look at our own horses for that. Mm-hmm. John, if people would like to contact you, you know, if they've got a horse that they'd like to talk to you about, What's the best details? You know, I think if you just go to horsechaps.com and search for John or at the bottom of every page, all those contact details are there. But if someone's waiting now, what's the best way to contact you? Always email and probably the most frequently used email is my own uh, email, which is johnmclean at gmail.com, which is spelt J-O-N-N-A-M-C-L-E-A-N at gmail.com. Or they can just go on to um, send a send a message on the Train to Win Facebook page and um, we can pick that thread up and away we go from there. Okay. Now, the Train to Win Facebook page, it's just facebook.com slash train to win or they can go into Facebook and just search Train to Win. Train to Win and it'll come up. Perfect. And it's a really easy one to decipher because it's got a blue background and it's got uh, three horses um, galloping um, side by side. Okay. Good. All right, Jonna, again, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of your day to have a chat, and I'm sure that people will just really appreciate all that information you've given them. Pleasure as always, Glennis, and thank you for the opportunity, and I look forward to our next, next chat. Okay, thanks, Jonna. Bye. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 